This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. In Romans 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul addresses the difficult question of whether the Lord has abandoned his promises to the Jews. He concludes that he has not. He appeals to himself as an example. Even though he was an ardent opponent of Christ and his gospel, nevertheless, God sovereignly, graciously gave him new life and true faith in Christ and made him an apostle as one born out of time. God is not done bringing his elect to new life and to true faith in Jesus the Messiah from the Gentiles and from the Jews. David Zadok is a Jew whom the Lord has brought to faith in Jesus the Messiah. He is pastor of Grace and Truth Congregation near Tel Aviv. The congregation was founded in 1976 by Baruch Maoz with about 60 people, and it is about 200 today. He's a graduate of Westminster Seminary, California, and also field director of Christian Witness to Israel and director of Hagafen Publishing and chairman of the board of Israel College of the Bible. He was born in Israel, lived in Iran, returned to Israel where he served in the military from which he retired as a major. He's involved in the Fellowship of Reformed Churches, which is working on a new confession of faith. And finally, he is also Israeli coordinator of the Lausanne Consultation on Jewish Evangelism. You can learn more about David's conversion and his Christian faith in the June 21, 2010 episode of Office Hours at wscal.edu slash office hours. Hi, David, and welcome back to Office Hours. Shalom. It's been six years since we last talked here in the studio, and a lot has happened. So let's start with the move of the congregation, if I understand things correctly, to Tel Aviv and into the new building. Tell us that story. Well, it's actually not in Tel Aviv, but in the south. But this is actually has been a long time in waiting as we were hoping to finally get into the building. It is in many ways the first congregational building that has been built in Israel. We had to fight it all the way to the Supreme Court, and we are still waiting for the final occupancy permission. However, since we provided all the documents they needed, and they lost it, quote, quote, twice, uh, we decided to move in and start just to use it just for worship services. Bureaucracy is bad across the globe. Yeah, and I think it might be a little bit more than just bureaucracy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and we won't say anything that might create future problems for you. But yes. So you're in the building but waiting for some yet final approvals. Tell us the story of getting the building built and having to appeal, as you say, all the way to the Supreme Court. Tell us that story. How did it happen? Well, as the congregation was growing, we were meeting in a place that was meant for about 60 people. And at the time, we were about almost 340 people in the congregation. So that's when the idea of purchasing a place of our own came up. We finally, after going to the municipality, asking for the building permission, they said, well, in the Israeli laws, the laws pertaining to where and how, you can build a synagogue and a mosque, but not a church, because there has not been a church ever since Israel has become a state in 1948 and even probably before that. And once we got the permission, we start building, and that's when the religious and the anti-mission organization sued us, uh, and we had to go all the way to the Supreme Court, which, uh, by God's grace, we not only won, but that has also provided precedent for other congregations. It's interesting that you can build a mosque, but that it was so difficult to build a church. Well, you know, when you look at the history, you know, the history of the Jewish people and history of the relationship of the Christianity to Israel and to Judaism, there's been a lot of animosity 
animosity. So in Israel, there has never been, in a sense, a congregation that has gone to, uh, in order to build, and that's why there was never a law where and how you can do that. And the most exciting thing about this is not the building, but that you needed a building, that you had enough people attending. You say you started with 60 and then grew to 300. And how many are you now? Well, we are now about almost 200, a little bit less than 200. We had a split some years ago, another church, mainly Russian-speaking, who moved out. And I think what we are seeing, particularly in the last few years, is that we are seeing that God is moving in Israel and among particularly Israelis and the Jewish people. In our own congregation, in the last 12 months, we had 11 people who were baptized. And these are people who have previously not made a profession of faith? No. And they came from where? They came from different part of Israel. Some of them are second generation. Some of them young Israelis that God has opened their heart either to reading the New Testament or reading other books. Some of them even hearing sermons uh, on the YouTube. And all of these are means in the hand of God to bring these people to himself. And I think the exciting thing is actually their average age has been probably about 19 or 20 years old. So we have people who are younger in their teenage. We have other ones. And I think what's also interesting is that this is not only happening in our congregation, but also in other churches across Israel. There is much more unity. So often, certainly, our kids here, and they attend other baptism. And we hear that almost uh, every month there are some baptism going on in one of the congregations in Israel. So you were 60, grew, then there was a separation. Now you're about 200, and you've had 11 people who've come to faith from various backgrounds in Israel. Mostly Jews, any uh, Muslims? Tell us about the kinds of folks who are being brought to faith. Yeah, I think, well, certainly in our congregation, we are a multi-ethnic congregation. So we have Israeli Jews, we have Russian, we have Ethiopian. In fact, one of the persons that was baptized was an Ethiopian. So mm. this was the first time in our congregation. But he wasn't a eunuch. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, in fact, she and her friend got baptized in the same day and uh, bought him. Less than a month ago, I had the privilege of marrying them. Oh, that's amazing. They got married, and that was also the first marriage we had in our new building. How many languages are represented in your congregation? The service is in Hebrew, but we translate it into Russian and English. Uh, we have sign language. We have three families that are from India. We have a German and Swiss family. We have two American families. So we are a mix. We also have a family, a woman. She's a Palestinian. That She's been part of the congregation for many years. Well, that's very exciting. So you're literally experiencing at Grace and Truth the reality that in Christ, there's no Jew, no Gentile, no Scythian, barbarian, slave-free. It's actually happening in your congregation. That's exactly the case. I think in Ephesians, when Paul is talking about the one new man in Christ, I think that's what we're experiencing in our congregation. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. And you have people coming out of backgrounds between which there are real differences, cultural differences, political differences, historical differences. Obviously, if you have a Palestinian in your congregation and you have Christian Israeli Jews in your congregation, you've got obviously very significant differences there. And yet they're all ultimately resolved in Christ. Yes, I think that's the beauty of the church. I think the Church of Christ is the place where people from every nation and tongue and people gather together around the unity that we have, not only in Christ, but also the Scripture, the Word of God. And of course, Grace and Truth being a Reformed Church, you know, the Word of God and the preaching and the sermon has a very central 
part of the congregation, and that's what brings us together in that oneness. Now, you have been active serving at Grace and Truth for how long? My whole Christian life, I've been a member of two congregations. One is New Life in La Mesa. That was also the church that earlier I was baptized. And then since I left the States after finishing my studies at San Diego State, I've been a member of congregation. In uh, February of 1990, I was ordained as an elder in the congregation. And as of the last almost four years, been pastoring the congregation. Now, when did you graduate from Westminster Seminary, California? In 2006. So it's 10 years. Hardly seems that long. So you've been actively serving as an elder or a pastor in this congregation for a long time. This is your congregation in many ways. Obviously, it's the Lord's, but you've been serving there and you're deeply involved there. What have you learned particularly in the 10 years since you graduated? Definitely my three years' time here in the seminary provided me a lot of um, tools, uh, a lot of understanding, and certainly helped me in to be prepared much better in terms of serving the church, both as an elder, as a pastor, in teaching, in preaching, and in other aspects of the ministry. I think the thing that probably of all things has been coming out in the last 10 years is just to see the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God to His covenant, to his promises in the Old Testament, and now we are seeing it with our own eyes in Israel as we are seeing the church in Israel growing. Probably I would say that at least in the last three or four years, we are seeing something that we haven't seen even before that, as we are seeing not only more and more people coming to Christ, not only the Reformed faith, which is very, very small in Israel, and yet it's making some advancement. We've had some uh, seminars in our congregation. The last one was on the five solos of the Reformation. The one before was on family worship. We had a dear friend from Netherlands Reformed Church came and spoke and did a seminar. We had almost 300 people. We are seeing uh, the use of the various creeds. We are just about in our publishing, which uh, in Hagefen Publishing the time, also directing that hopefully in the next month we would have the Westminster Confession in Hebrew as well, in addition to the Heidelberg Catechism that we are now working on the second edition of it. And so we are seeing how all of these things are being used by the Lord to not only reaching out, but also help the believers to get a better understanding of the Scriptures. As you entered pastoral ministry, you had a certain set of expectations about what it would be like. Obviously, you came to it with a lot of years of experience as a ruling elder. What have you experienced in pastoral ministry that you didn't expect? You know, life in the church, just in any place, uh, is very challenging. It has uh, its ups and its downs. You know, usually as an elder, certainly in our understanding of that, I experience a lot of things. But I think what has been different in this last four years has been the intensity of the work, the needs. Still, in Israel, the gospel hasn't penetrated into all uh, levels of the society. So we have a lot of challenges in the sense that we have very many single mother families. We have many times uh, people who come to faith in a very uh, later stage in their life, so they would be facing some of the lifestyles that they had lived before. There isn't much need for counseling, for comforting these people. And I think the exciting thing, as I said earlier, is just to see in light of all the challenges, also the fact that we are seeing younger generation coming to faith with a great zeal to share the gospel with their colleagues in the military, in the work, and in other places. Some of them are looking into the possibility of studying, in advancing in their understanding of the scriptures so that they can be better equipped in teaching and also in their own understanding of the scriptures. Why do you think young people or younger people are responding the way they are to the message? 
I think probably it's a few reasons. Obviously, the first reason is just the timing of God and his sovereignty as he's bringing the Jewish people back to himself as promised in Romans 9, 10, 11. But I think the other part of it is that we are seeing a lot of these young people who are coming to faith are second generation. They are people who grew up in Christian home. Our daughter, Mayan, before she was converted and baptized, one of the things she said, she said, I don't remember a day in my life that I didn't know that God exists and that Jesus is the Lord. But now it has become a reality for me. And that's what she and Hadass were baptized. And I think that's uh, somewhat portrays the same picture in other young people that are coming to faith. The other thing I think is the churches in Israel are more active in terms of uh, bringing the gospel. We are seeing a lot more very cleverly done YouTube and uh, evangelistic video clips. We are seeing some of these clips seen by hundreds of thousands of people. And I think all of these are being used in drawing this younger generation, the millennials, to the gospel and to Christ. So social media is a tool that evangelicals in Israel are using. Very much so, yes. Uh, particularly the organization called One for Israel. They are doing an amazing job in bringing testimonies, dealing with some of the issues that the rabbinical Judaism is uh, often bringing up against uh, Christianity. And uh, we are seeing a lot of people that are being impacted by that. In fact, uh, one of the persons that was baptized in our church, uh, her first contact with the gospel was through one of those uh, YouTubes. For us as Christians, especially those who actually believe the Reformers got it right, it was nothing short of the recovery of the gospel out of the darkness of the Middle Ages. Mike Horton for Westminster Seminary, California. There's nothing more important than getting the gospel right and getting the gospel out. Judged by those terms, the Reformation was the greatest recovery of Christianity and missionary expansion in the history of the church since the Apostle Paul. The Reformation is important to Westminster Seminary, California, because we purport to be trying to make experts in the Bible. Scripture is our focus here. At the center of the biblical message from Genesis to Revelation is God's redemption of sinners in Christ, the gospel. The Reformation not only clarified that message, but also was a flowering of biblical scholarship. Westminster takes the Reformation seriously only because it takes the scriptures seriously. And the Reformation was one of the greatest recoveries of scripture in the history of the church. We are reformed not because we want to belong to a tribe, but because we believe that this is actually the riches of scripture for the whole church. And it's not something that we possess, but something that possesses us. WSCAL.edu, 888 480-8474, Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Earlier, you mentioned Hageffen Publishing. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Hageffen Publishing, actually, which is part of Christian Witness to Israel, is started by Robert May McChain, famous Scottish minister. And I think uh, we've been following that great legacy in providing books, reform books uh, that are helping both in the cause of evangelism and discipleship. Our goal in Hageffen has always been to support the churches in Israel in their God-given task of evangelism and discipleship. And we do that mainly through our publishing. I think in the last 10 years, we published at least 120, 130 books in different areas, both evangelism and theology and discipleship, and also in children and parenting. In the last two, three years, we've done some books in other languages. We've done an evangelistic booklet in Turkish in light of everything that is going there to one of the actually Westminster graduate figure that is in Turkey. He translated 
printed the booklet for us. We printed it. We sent a few hundred copies of that there. We've done some books in Ukraine that we've sent and also in the Amharic language, particularly Shepherding a Child's Heart. And probably the project that it's uh, probably would be excited for a lot of the listeners is that for the first time we would be having the Westminster Confession of Faith in the Hebrew language. So that would be the second Reform Creed after the Heidelberg that we've done. And now we are in the process of uh, hoping to do the first book on preaching in Hebrew, and we hope that it would be Dr. Julius Kim's book, Preaching the Whole Counsel of God. And you can get the English language version in the bookstore at Westminster Seminary, California. And we hope before too long, you can get the modern Hebrew edition available through Hagefet. That's outstanding. The list of things in which you are involved is truly impressive. You're also chairman of the board of Israel College of the Bible. Tell us about that. Well, Israel College of the Bible has been in existence since 1990. At the moment, it's the only Hebrew college and seminary in Israel. And I think what's uh, great about ICB is that both uh, Israeli Jews and Arabs are studying. Both Eti, my wife, and I were teaching the last year there. I was teaching the MA student in Christian counseling. And of the seven students, five of them were Arabs and two of them were Jewish. And I think that's a place that we are able to teach. We're seeing students that are very eager to study the scriptures and to be more effective in whatever ministries they are, whether among the Arab congregations or Jewish congregations in different parts of Israel. How many... I wonder if you can estimate, just as you were saying that, I'm thinking I hadn't even thought about that, that there are Arab Christian congregations in Israel. Any idea how many there might be? I would estimate, and this would be a rough estimate, that probably at least about uh, 30 or 40 of them. Many of them would be brethren congregations. The number of members in those congregations would relatively be small, but it's growing. I think the number of the Arab Christians is also on the rise, just as is the number of Jewish people. Mm. I think one thing that was very interesting, uh, one of the Arab students told me, he said, David, you realize that Israel is the only country in the Middle East that a Muslim can be converted to Christianity and not be persecuted or killed by the government. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say, because... As far as I know, every other country in the Middle East, maybe one exception, I don't know. Probably Jordan might be that exception. Being converted to Christianity is a death sentence. Very much so, yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see how God, in his timing and in his sovereignty, is bringing, even within Israel, Muslims that are being uh, converted. One of the sort of sub-themes of this episode has been the relationship between Christianity as it's building bridges between Jews and Arabs, and you are involved in another organization called Education Forum, which is working on that very issue. What is it, you think, that you bring as a Reformed confessing Christian to that great work of building understanding? Yeah, even though the Israel Education Forum is not continuing in that uh, in the way we started, but nevertheless, I am very much involved in the relationship between the Jews and Arabs and Palestinians. I think as a, what we are bringing in as a certain as a reform congregation and reform understanding is not only the oneness that we have in Christ, but also in particular the doctrines of grace that are so much uh, part of our understanding. And I think when we look at the doctrines of grace, we can see how God is in this time in the history, is bringing both the Jews and Arabs and Palestinians in such a difficult time in the history together. Why is the gospel so essential for building true understanding and true peace between Jews and Arabs? 
Well, I think besides the gospel, any kind of peace, any kind of human effort would not have any results. It's only the gospel and it's only Christ that can bring the true peace that comes, first of all, internally into the heart of the person and only then can bring that reconciliation. So once God reconciles us to himself, to the gospel and to Christ, only then we can be reconciled to one another. Without that first reconciliation between us uh, as creatures and the Creator, any other reconciliation is doomed to failure, as we've seen in the history. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. We are 15 years now, post 9-11, into what some have called the long war on terror. How is that affecting your conversations with Muslims as you seek to bring the gospel to them and explain that, yes, it was Jesus who was crucified, right? And not only was he crucified, and not only did he die and was buried, but he was raised on the third day. How can you bring that to a Muslim in your context without being perceived as a crusader and bringing all the baggage that they hear with it? I think one of the things that uh, certainly helps is by explaining to them that Jesus, uh, he was a Jew. Does that help or does that hinder? Well, in some ways, I think it helps. Uh, In some ways, it might hinder. But I think it helps in a sense that they can then distinguish that from the Crusaders, that they see that as the beginning, especially as we see some of the things that are happening in Iraq and Syria with the ISIS, that they see Christianity in a much worse situation because at least they consider Judaism to be a more monotheistic religion, whereas Christianity, they think that it's, you know, they believe in Mary and the Son and not a monotheistic. So in that sense, it is of some help. But I think also the other thing that it's very helpful in that context, whether it's a Muslim or a Jew, is to talk about the love and the peace that was the central message of Christ. You know, John tells us that the law came to Moses, but grace to Christ. And I think that we are in an era that we so much are in need of seeing a peace that is internal, as well as the grace of God that can cover a multitude of sins. When people come to Grace and Truth and they join you for worship for the first time, what do they find and by what are they surprised? I think they probably would be certainly surprised at the message. You know, we are preaching expository. I've been preaching to Galatians. Actually, when I go back, we'll be finishing two more chapters. Yeah, of, what uh, a great thing to be preaching in that context. Oh, yes. Or any context, but particularly that one. Yeah, and just the fact that, you know, we are talking about our justification, that it's by faith and not by our works. And in fact, the works are the result and not a prerequisite, is something that it's often a message that is not often heard, certainly among the Jewish people. I think the other thing that would certainly surprise some people is our worship music. Our worship is somewhat lively, not charismatic, but lively because, you know, we are commanded to make a joyful sound to the Lord. I think we have an amazing worship team directed by Sasha Atlas, which is probably the most and very much known in Israel and probably the best uh, musician and uh, music writer in Israel. And we have that privilege. And certainly the warmness. As I said, the church is multi-ethnic, so you see people in different colors, different accents, different languages. Not everybody necessarily speaks Hebrew. And yet hopefully people experience a warmth that they don't experience in other places or other contexts. One of the perhaps most difficult groups to try to reach in your context might be rabbinic Judaism. 
What are some of the challenges, and are there any strategies to try to communicate Christianity in a winsome way to those groups? Well, they are indeed the most challenging to reach out. But again, in the last few years, we are seeing some very small breakthrough happening even among them. I had the privilege of talking and meeting even with one or two of them and even giving them a New Testament. One of the things that we are seeing that strategically is working well is because it's very difficult to have direct contact or personal contact with them, is again the media. We know that many of them are accessing the New Testament to various uh, websites in the Hebrew language. We know that some of them are reading the Old Testament in the modern Hebrew that we have translated in Hagefen Publishing, and that is being used as well by many of them. And I always think of that there are some of these uh, Orthodox Jews that they are secret believers in their own community, in their own homes, and yet maybe in God's timing, one time or one day, they would all come out of that and uh, be open about the gospel and about their faith. And I always amazed that what that can do. Think of what happened with Paul, who was the greater persecutor of the church. And when he was faced with the living Christ, he became the greatest apostle of the New Testament. So there are still Nicodemites. As well, yes. In fact, the gentleman that I met, I met him late at night because that's what he wanted. (laughs) Some things never change. No. (laughs) How can the listener pray for your work at Grace and Truth and in publishing and in all the other things that you're involved? I think probably to me the most important uh, prayer request would be that we would be faithfully teaching and preaching the Word of God, that we would be able to pass on the baton to the next generation, the gospel of grace, the true gospel, that we would not deviate from it. That's probably the first thing. The second thing is that our congregation and other congregations, that we would be a holy congregation in which uh, the gospel is being seen through our lives and not just through the communication of the words. And then the third thing is that we would finally receive our final occupancy permission so we can move the offices, both of the congregation and also the Hagefen. And you can pray for the many projects that we are working on in publishing, that the Lord would provide the finances, but also that they would get into the right hands and that they would have an impact for the many generations to come and not just for this generation today. Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash officehours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.